All right, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 10 to 15. I don't know a good transition from that to this, other than we need God's Word, don't we? So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. Continuing on in this first section that ends with the end of chapter 4, Paul is here simultaneously um, defending the rightness, the biblical faithfulness of his ministry, and correcting the Corinthians for their division. This, uh, these verses focus mainly on pastoral ministry. What is it? What it's for? Christ himself, Paul says, is the only sure, enduring, solid foundation, and whatever is built upon that by uh, following pastors must be compatible with Christ. Let me read these verses and then pray, and then we'll go on. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd bless the reading and preaching of your word, that it might cause us to grow up into this most holy faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's continued defense of his ministry. He is, as he notes himself, a master builder. There aren't two words in the Greek, skilled master. There's one, but what they're trying to convey is Paul wasn't just like a laborer. He was the architect. He was the designer. He was the first. And by God's grace, all due to God's grace, Paul built masterly. He did it well. He built the only foundation, the only true right foundation, which is Christ. But now he has moved on, and other pastors are building on his foundation. And Paul exhorts those pastors who follow him to take care how they build. That's the point of this section. Paul's concern is that preachers use only the building materials that are compatible with the foundation. Paul urges the building of eternal souls with the only thing that will last, which is God's Word. And whatever each preacher has done will be revealed. The day Paul refers to is the day of Christ's coming, the day of not only judgment between the believer and the unbeliever, but judgment of the works of believers, especially those who preach and teach. We are warned in Scripture to take care because preachers will face a more severe, strict judgment. And Paul says that whatever... Uh, is built on the foundation, will be tested in this judgment, and that we should take care on what, with what we build because only God's Word lasts forever. So Paul begins with a boast. <clears throat> he says earlier in 131 that let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, and that's what Paul does. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. So Paul's ministry, as we've been noting, has been challenged. The teachers that the church has welcomed in are maligning Paul. They're trying to undercut his credibility. And so Paul boasts, not so. I I am, by God's grace, a master builder. 
Now, Paul gives all glory to God. He leaves no glory for himself. Paul attributes as his right that whatever he did, he did by the grace of God. Later, Paul will write that he worked harder than any other, other apostles, but it was not he but the grace of God at working within him. And so Paul gives God all the glory. Simple lesson there, right? We, in whatever we do, want to give God all the glory. That's true of you as a parent, you as a skilled worker at whatever God has called you to do. We want to give God all the glory. Whatever you have is only a gift of God's grace. And we in our church don't want to elevate one grace that God has given and and reduce others. One of the things we see throughout Scripture is that each person in, in in the church, each Christian is given gifts by God's grace. And those gifts are useful, needed for the building of the body. So whether you are a skilled roofer, a skilled medical person, right? Whatever you do, God has given you the grace to do that thing. And it is useful and needed in the church and to God's glory. Now, one of the things we should note here, in our day, humility is the thing. Humility is a good thing. But the kind of humility that's the thing in our world often passes itself as false humility. It's false humility. That is, when somebody's criticized, they kind of melt into a puddle and uh, respond with all kinds of false humility. I'm not that good. I'm not that worthy. What I've done isn't that good. Paul doesn't respond to challenges with that kind of humility here. He responds with a boast. The more he's criticized, the lower that they want him to sink, the higher he uh, speaks of himself while giving God all the glory. So one thing we ought to check in our age is this kind of trend towards false humility, which is really just pride. It's just saving yourself from more criticism. When instead it is manly and right to stand up under criticism, before criticism, say what is true while giving God all the glory. That's a lesson we need. But Paul is boasting in the Lord that he has laid the only true foundation. So Paul is the uh, architect. He is the first in the Corinthian church to lay the foundation. And as we see in uh, verse 11, he laid the only foundation which can be laid, which is the solid foundation, which is Christ. So Paul boasts that he preached Christ crucified. Paul boasts that he decided to know nothing else other than Christ and him crucified. And he did this because he wanted to establish the Corinthian church on Christ. None of that is new to you guys. Is that new to you? That the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Is that new to you? shouldn't be new to you. And so Paul is saying what is true. The foundation is Christ. Now, um, three things there, three applications. Let this cause you to worship Jesus Christ. How many churches have there been in this world? Who alone can bear the weight of all of these eternal souls but Jesus Christ? This shows us how awesome Christ is. Anything else that is established as the foundation of the church crumbles and fails. But not Christ. And so let's give him the glory that he's due. He isn't soft. He isn't changeable. He's the eternal God-man. He is the rock upon which we either break ourselves or firmly found ourselves. He can bear the weight. 
He has borne the weight of the church over these last 2,000 years, and he will continue to bear it into eternity. The church hasn't failed, not because we have done so well, not because the world has seen that the church is a good thing and, and tried to encourage it. The church hasn't failed just only because of Christ. Humans have again failed. Pastors have and will fail. Congregations move off of Christ and fail. Our world hates the church, constantly tries to destroy it, but Christ will not fail. Right? So that makes us ask, what is the foundation of Pine Grove? Can we make this similar boast? That we are founded on Jesus Christ. Seems as we are, isn't it? Late 70s, our church was established out at Fort Wilderness as a Bible study centered on Jesus Christ. And so whoever was there laying that foundation, we give thanks to God's grace through you. Now we can also take this home with you. It's this principle of founding whatever we're doing on the gospel can apply to everything in life. This isn't just true of the church. Let's say you're beginning a new work. Grads, it's a season of graduation, right? You are, in a sense, establishing your life. You're likely moving out from underneath your parents' authority and trying to establish your life. What are you going to build it on? What are you going to do with it? And this doesn't mean you just say, yes, I'm establishing it on Christ. It actually needs to be put feet to the ground. How are you going to do it? Are you going to make yourself a vital part of a local church or not? Are you going to commit to making every part of, or setting aside a part of your day to seeking Christ in His Word? Are you going to actually commit to following what Jesus said in His Word or not? And you can take that to anything in your life. Are you getting married? Are you considering some kind of new business or a change in your business? Take care to establish it on Christ. So Paul, Paul boasts that he is a master builder by God's grace. He boasts that he laid the only right foundation in Jesus Christ. And then Paul exhorts those pastors who will come after him to take care upon or what they build upon that foundation. One thing that you note here is pastoral transition is normal. It happens. I don't think it's good for a pastor to come and go every few years, but it is normal. This was normal from the very beginning. Paul established a church. He was there 18 months, and he handed it off. And it was handed off after him and after him. The one thing that must never change is what is preached. We preach the Word of God. We preach the inspired apostolic scriptures. That's it. Now, Paul has a list of building materials in verse 12. Much has been made of these. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, obviously the first three are good, right building materials. The last three are not. What does Paul mean when he refers to those? What does Paul mean? So he's saying build on the foundation and whatever you want to build on this solid firm foundation of Christ needs to accord with Christ. He is talking primarily here about the truth. We want to build on the foundation with solid, unchangeable, gloriously beautiful truth. 
Gold, silver, precious stones. The truth. This is the thing that many pastors are willing to compromise. If you would, keeping your finger here, flip over a few books to the back to uh, 2 Timothy. <clears throat> 2 Timothy is likely Paul's last uh, letter that we have. He wrote this to his pastoral successor, Timothy, and he gives him a charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of living and the dead, very similar to what we're looking at in our text, and by his appearing as kingdom, here's one thing, Timothy. If everything else falls, here's the one thing to do. What is it? Preach the word. Build on the foundation of Christ with gold and silver and precious stones. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Right? No matter what the fruit is, preach the word. Notice what comes next. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching needs to have an edge. It needs to be sharp. It needs to be hard. Preaching that doesn't reprove and rebuke and exhort fails to actually be Christian. And so it isn't just what you preach, but how you preach that matters. We not only need to match Paul's content, but Paul's tenor. One of the main reasons I want to preach through 1 Corinthians. We need to learn from Paul's tenor, his manly frankness. This is something that is hated in the church today. They will large, the church will largely let you preach the truth so long as you're nice. So long as you don't deal with the sins of the people sitting right in front of you. But we are supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort the people sitting right in front of us. Right? This is what we strive to do as preachers. And whatever, if we succeed at that, it is all of God's grace. If we fail, it is all of our failure. And why would we fail to do this? Why would preachers fail to preach the Word with this kind of sharpness? Why would we fail to be hard against our people? Well, verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itchy ears will, itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There is a pressure on pastors to suit the carnal cravings of his people. We want your affection. We want your approval. We want your numerical presence so that our ministry can look good. We want your money. And so we will soften our teaching to suit what you internally feel like you want and feel like what you don't want, and we will just itch your ears. This, has this been you? When you've complained, not just about what I have preached, but what my predecessors have preached, whatever preachers, have you ever asked yourself why? I find that when people complain after the service, they're often just convicted. 
it's not that what the preacher said is wrong. It's that they are wrong and don't want to deal with it. And the easiest thing to do is criticize the preacher. To put pressure on him to suit your itching ears. And Paul exhorts preachers to take care with what they build on the foundation of Christ. And your job in this, according to Hebrews 13, is to encourage your pastors and elders to make this job a joy and not a burden. That you would welcome hard, biblical preaching that confronts you with what you need to be confronted. A few weeks ago, I talked about pornography. Why do you think I talked about that up here? Because the week before that, I was working with men addicted to pornography. And I guarantee if the two or three that I'm working with, they're just the tip of the iceberg out here. So pastors need to preach the word and challenge the people in front of them, reprove, reprove, rebuking, exhorting, but with complete patience. The work of God in your lives under the preaching of God's word is a slow work. That is, as I preach, as you hear preaching, we can sometimes way overestimate what can be done in one sermon or in ten sermons, but we too often underestimate the effect of God's Word after five years of this kind of preaching, what it will do in your lives. So that's why we preach what we preach. Why do you think I constantly preach on biblical manhood and womanhood? Because it is the area of greatest temptation and failure in the Christian church today. It is the place where our society is putting us most pressure on us as Christians to deny the biblical reality from Genesis 1 and 2 that God made them in his image, male and female. And that that biological maleness and femaleness comes with certain things. And it's the very thing our world hates and wants to deny. So I preach it. Why do you think I preach so much on giving your children a robustly Christian education? Don't think I'm talking about homeschooling there. Why? Because there can be no other foundation for your child but Christ. Education is forming foundation. Would you put your child in a Muslim school? How about a Mormon school? Mormon schools and Muslim schools have more in common with Christianity than our secular materialistic government schools right now, frankly. Now, I'm embarrassed to talk about that because we don't have another good alternative to offer. I don't hit it like I ought because not all of you should homeschool. The alternative is not always homeschooling. That can be a bad alternative. But if you're going to have your children in, in a, a government school, you ought to take very great care of the kind of worldview that is being formed for them. So, I want to do one other thing with this. I want to apply it to people who are suffering. We have people who are suffering in our church greatly right now. And I want to be mindful of them as we preach through this. It doesn't appear initially as if I'm back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. It doesn't appear as if there's anything here explicitly for those suffering, and there isn't. But this is definitely good news for those suffering. If you are in our congregation right now and you are going through it, 
you are in grief and in sorrow. It's been a long time thing, and you don't see a way out. Maybe you've even given up hope of a way out. What does this say to you? What does this have for you? Well, the good word here is that Christ is the foundation of this church of which you're a part of. And what you need more than anything in your suffering and in your loss and in your fear and in your confusion is something solid and firm that will not change and will not shift, even though everything else is shifting underneath your feet. And that's Christ. He is a solid, firm, unchanging, loving foundation underneath the feet of those who have nothing else solid to lean on. He will not fail you in your suffering. He will not change. You, your life is built upon the God who became man, who came and died and rose and now reigns over all things. And that is true for you in your suffering which is why we preach and teach like we preach and teach, because we are, as pastors and elders, preparing you for suffering. Preparing you, as we've sung, for the death due to lay cold upon your brow. That's when you'll need this. When your spouse leaves you a note saying, I'm sick, I'm done. What are you going to need then? When you get a note from your employer saying, sorry, you no longer fit our needs. What are you going to lean on there? At the diagnosis, at the loss of a spouse. If you're in a church that won't preach hard things, you'll have nothing to stand on in those moments. We want to prepare you for death. That's why we do what we do here. We are out of time, so we'll, I'll catch the rest of it next uh, week. We can leave it at Let's pray, and then we'll continue on. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I pray that we would remain faithful to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with that, with, with that which will endure to your glory. And so, God, would you make us as pastors and elders and soon deacons faithful to this charge, no matter what, that we would endure in the preaching and teaching of your word, exhorting, rebuking, and encouraging your people with all patience so that as the day of Christ grows near, it might go well for them. And so, God, may you do that by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Charge is this. Go this week applying the truth that God is faithful to everything you're going to do. As you make decisions, as you talk to people, just God is our faithful and sovereign Lord. How is that going to impact what you actually do? May the Lord rescue you from every evil and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.